Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Aesthetic Insider Radio. This is your host, Angela O'Mara. I'm really excited today. We have double board certified facial plastic surgeon and facial feminization for the transgender and non-transgender patient community, um, pioneer Dr. Toby Mayer. Dr. Toby Mayer practices in Beverly Hills, California, and has been working with this unique patient community for close to 50 years. Dr. Mayer, welcome to Aesthetic Insider Radio. It's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Angela. Thank you very much. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Dr. Mayer, before we get, you know, I have loads and loads of questions, as I know our listeners do, and there's just so much to learn about this, such a unique approach to um, facial plastic surgery. But what drew you to help those in the transgender community um, transition using your skills as a facial plastic surgeon? And, of course, please, you know, do share a little bit about yourself with our listeners. Okay, well, you know, uh, 50 years ago, transgender patients were in the closet. And it's very, I thought when I did my first one 50 years ago, I thought I was doing the third transgender patient in the world um, after Renee Richards and Christine Jorgensen. But it turns out that that patient uh, where I did her hair and hairline lowering and a bunch of feminizations, she also asked me about, is there a way to, to do her voice? And I said, well, I had an idea, and I thought it would work. She said, I'll sign whatever you want. And it worked beyond my wildest dreams and continues to today. But through that patient, I started having more and more patients. And I quickly realized this was more than uh, just a few people. This community wanted the same thing that all of us want. They wanted to feel better within themselves. And that was the only difference that I saw. So I had no no pre, pre-existing opinion of, oh, this is a strange group, or, oh, what, what, people ask me, what, what is, what is the secret with, with these transgender patients? I said, oh, they're human beings like you and me, and they just want to love another human being and be left alone. <laughs> yeah. And they want to feel comfortable within themselves. So that was the start. Yeah, you know, and I and I do find that fascinating. And, and of course, you know, now you know the there's you know they're not, they're not in the closet in the way that they were. Although I do think the search for finding a good facial feminization expert is is you know just probably as difficult as it was back then. Um, but I would you know like to ask because again you're talking about 50 years ago and the first patients to you, and of course it was something that was top secret. Um, but how was it perceived by all the surgeons in the aesthetic oh. industry when you first began? Yeah, plastic surgeons. There were only two of us in the country for the first 35 years that did facial feminization surgery because plastic surgeons did not want to quote those people in their practice. And so they actually uh, would refer patients to me for facial feminization surgery. Uh, that uh, fortunately, with uh, LGBT issues and people realizing these are the same people as us, they just yes. feel differently inside because no one would undertake this transformation unless they felt profoundly that they were trapped in a, the wrong body. 
Yeah, and I, I, I have on a, you know, when we were just chatting before the show started, you had said, you know, um, a person would not choose to take this journey unless it was they were really impelled, you know, to be doing yeah. this. It chooses them. Yeah. yeah, it chooses them. They don't choose it. So yes. as this has become more open and now we have transgender patients that are that come out now as doctors, lawyers, etc. But uh, back then you never you never saw I remember when I did two airline pilots that were over six feet tall, that was about thirty years ago. And I thought that was wow, the airlines let them go ahead and 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 be pilots as transgender women. So that was terrific. Yeah, that that is terrific. Um, well, over the years, you know, again, because I think you know that we've seen massive changes just across the board in in everything representing the LGBTQ community and changes that will continue even today and beyond, I'm sure. But over the years, what have you learned about working with this community that can help patients who are seeking facial feminization surgery from a safe and successful, you know, point of view? Uh, and of course, your your years of experience. Well, I tell patients, whoever you go to, the the basis of your selection should be on results, 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 lack of complications, uh, reviews that are all excellent. Everybody can have a strange uh, patient, but usually they would stand out. Fortunately. Uh, uh, I'm able to eliminate those patients because they have unrealistic expectations, just like heterosexual patients do. So those have to be eliminated because you'll never make them happy. But, you know, patients who are transgender should be looking for the actual results. Making things smaller is not the key. It's the proportion and adjusting proportion. So very often I find that transgender patients today are upsold procedures that they should not have. They don't really feminize the face. They may make something smaller, but angle of jaw reduction I don't feel does anything except make the patients look odd. So patients have to be very careful and look at results to see is this as uh is this result look natural? And then look at the the reviews that the doctor has by those patients and then match, uh, try to match those particular two. Both of those should be high satisfaction and lack of negative reviews. And then when they look at the picture, they go, wow, that, that, that looked like a guy before. Now this looks like a really good-looking woman. And you're not going to get the same result on every patient and then it then the key is patient selection if i feel i cannot make the patient whether they're transgender or not happy within themselves with this change i i, I refuse to do them because they, they won't be happy and and my job is not to sell something my job is to make that person comfortable within their skin as to who they are. They look in the mirror and they say, I still recognize the essence of me, but now I'm more female. 
Yeah. You know, and it's interesting because I think some of those tips that you just offered in terms of results and reviews especially, I mean, that is kind of across the board for anything to do in aesthetic procedures of face and body for, for, for male, female, transgender, you know, you name it for anyone seeking to have cosmetic mm-hmm. surgery. And, and and I do think for many years, you know, I know, you know, the... You know, from my point of view, anyway, we definitely have always encouraged to look at results, to look at pictures, to speak with patients, you know, if possible, to even meet with patients, and so you can see firsthand, you know, mm-hmm. whether incisions are placed, can, you know, especially when you talk about, you know, some of the, the procedures which we will talk about, if, you know, like a hairline, you know, and, and do you see scars, do you not see scars? It's, it's, it's also important, um, you know, so I definitely agree with you there. You know, in terms of, of facial feminizer surgery, which is specifically for the transgender patient, um, what procedures would you say are, you know, the, I guess the most popular? I don't know if popular is the correct term. I try, to, I, try to, I try to break these down for the patient. So I tell them, do what bothers you the most. But having said that, the big three are going to be uh, the voice, so there's a procedure I developed almost 50 years ago for a voice that feminizes the voice, and you can hear it right away. The patient can. I usually do those under local. They can hear the voice right then. They don't have to not use their voice, et cetera. And, but sometimes, occasionally, I can do everything that I did on all those other patients, but 10% of the time uh, it may not work. Other than that, when it does work, these people think I walk on water. So that's a big one, and you can shave the Adam's apple at the same time. The other one is the upper third where the hairline needs to be lowered, whether it's a direct advancement. And almost 50 years ago, I invented the irregular trichothetic forehead lift, which is another way of saying that we bury the hair under the scar so it grows through the scar, and patients, in order to evaluate that, they need to see the hair pull back. So I see the hair style, the patient thinks, oh, that's a good result. But if they were to see it with the hair pulled back, they go, oh, my God, that patient has a terrible scar there. So they need to see that, and some some patients have uh, are missing so much hair in the front than I do, a procedure that, once again, we invented almost 50 years ago called the Mayer Flap, where I move an entire section, the equivalent of about 10,000 grafts, but the hair doesn't change texture. If it's a foot long on the side of your head, it's a foot long in the front of your head the next day, and it's about goes back about two inches from the new hairline. So that, that was very, very popular. And I did that both on, obviously, heterosexual males and transgender male-to-female patients. So most of them just need a hairline advancement. And at the same time I advance the hairline, I put the brows in a female position, but not making them look like uh, kabuki dancers where it's pulled up at the side and they look like an evil wizard. And at the same time, I uh, remove the excess bone from the superorbital bumps, one above each eyebrow, and I flatten that. And so by doing that, I can make them absolutely flat, and they don't need to have the bone removed and put back. 
that was the other gentleman who developed his approach uh, 50 years ago. And I went, why do you do that? We can just burr it down. So that's a big one. When you change the brow position, you lift the brows, and you remove the excess superorbital bone and lower the hairline. That's a big one. Whether you use a, a direct advancement, sometimes I put a tissue expander under the scalp if they have enough hair just to blow it up and be able to advance the hairline. But if they don't have any hair in that entire frontal area, then I use a mayor flap to do that. You know, and, you know, um, when we talk about kind of, you know, facial feminization, I think one of the characteristics for for all females is their hair. And to be able to wear your hair in a ponytail or to wear it off your face, you know. Right. Uh, we certainly don't want to be, you know, where we have to wear our hair on our face because we're hiding something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No bangs. You know, they're, they're, none of my patients, they don't have to wear bangs. Uh, and most of them will need nothing done. I've had no bad scarring or anything from that if it's properly done. Some people have low density. In other words, if you make an incision at their hairline or even go back a half an inch or an inch, the actual number of hairs per square inch may be low, and they may want more hair to give them a little more density but that's the exception. The The rule is the density is fine. You just have to get the hairline down there. The other thing that is really important is the nose. So male noses are different than female noses. And you don't want to have a female with a very large honker and has a hump and is pointed toward the floor. Uh, this unattractive nose for a female, it's unattractive actually for a male. Yes. You, but there's differences between those two. But I have patients show me what they like, and then that tells me that I'm going to be dead and gone. They're going to have my nose. Oh, that's a mayor nose. I want them to be happy. I'm not doing it for me. I'm doing it for them. I'm happy when they're happy. I don't give them a nose. Some sort of, oh, I'm going to make you a wonderful nose. I don't know what the hell that means. You want to make a nose. So I have patients... Bring me noses they like, and then I can adjust what I do to meet that. If what they want is going to make them look funky or not attractive, I say, here, go to someone else. I, I won't do that. Well, it's like so you that's said, another you know, big it's, one. Yeah, it's, it's balance, isn't it? I mean, it's like you want to make the patient look natural. And so right. to take a nose that was previously, you know, a more masculine nose to make it more feminine, you also want it to be you know, um, in harmony with the rest of the face that, that you, yeah. are now, you are now feminizing. Yeah, you don't want a little yeah. tiny nose on a big skull, a little tiny nose on Schwarzenegger's head. No, that would not no. look good. So you have to balance these things to make it look natural. Otherwise, you yeah, you made it smaller, but it doesn't look natural. And the same thing's true of the chin, uh, I will often reduce the size and contour the chin to make it narrower, and sometimes it's too long, so I uh, shorten the vertical between the nose and the bottom of the chin. So that's uh, I do that through a small incision under the chin. Uh, the voice procedure is done down lower where I 
uh, make a one and a half inch incision on the outside and then do what I do. The other thing that I just once again never do is shave the angle of the mandible. That's what's right below your ear where the when you take that piece off you end up with what my nurse calls light bulb head. <laughs> because now when you remove that piece the upper two thirds look gigantic and it looks like a light bulb. So I, I never do that and unfortunately I see that um, patients are sold this as a way to feminize their face, and I, I don't think this is ever indicated. No, there no might I would agree a, with you there, because even females like to have that definition in the in the mandible area, you know, um, because it, it just gives a better contour to the to the structure. Yeah, and it 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 makes everything look good. Sometimes I use Botox in the masseter muscle from the front. You don't see the angle of the mandible. The masseter chewing muscle sits in front of it, so that's what you're seeing. If somebody said, "Oh, I'd like my, uh, I'd like this a little finer," well, that can be done with Botox in the masseter muscle. And the bad thing of that is you got to keep doing it every uh, four to six months, depending how long it lasts. Yeah, you know, I'd like to touch on. We're we have we're just a little over halfway through the show, but I do have some questions, and I would want to like you know talk a little bit more about the voice and the Adam's sure. apple. You know, in in specific, you know, with when you reduce the Adam's apple, does that affect the patient's function with movement or swallowing, or is it just purely aesthetic? No, purely aesthetic. It does absolutely nothing. The day of surgery, uh, for a few days, they may they are going to be swollen in that area, but it does really nothing. Uh, the voice procedure only affects the voice, and I've never had any complication from that procedure. Uh, the only disadvantage of it is it's not 100%, but uh, that incision is going to be lower than if I'm just doing a thyroid cartilage shave or Adam's apple shave. That I try to make where the neck meets the jaw up high so it's not seen. That's only a less than one-inch incision. Hmm. You know, and then, and then one area that we haven't talked about yet, but I, I would like to explore just a little bit with you. You know, we did talk about the chin and the the jawline and the nose, you know, and those that all make up the facial feminization technique. Um, but what about, like, lips and fillers and, and the things that, you know, like the non-invasive procedures that yeah. are quite popular today, how does that work within the transgender patient? Okay. So that part of that whole complex also, when we're not talking about aging, aging surgery, whether you're transgender or uh, non-transgender, aging surgery is aging surgery. You need a facelift and with or without fat and muscle removal to do that, tightening, moving the muscle back with a facelift and removing excess um, that's going to be the same. But in patients who are, let's say, under 40, um, very rarely that one would need that surgery. But I do cheek implants frequently because many patients uh, don't have the high cheekbone that women like. Uh, sometimes I, I, I sculpt the... I only use silicone implants for that because they're permanent, they're symmetrical, and they have a very, very uh, safe use. I've used those for almost 50 years. And that that's 
With better antibiotics, the only possible thing you're going to have with that is a rare infection, uh, in which case you'd take it out and put it back in. But with better antibiotics, it's been quite a while before since we've had one of those. Same thing you would have with a chin implant. It's going to be very rare. What's happened, though, with COVID, everybody's staring at the screen, and someone said lip lift, because I've used lip lifts for older patients of, of whatever type, and then especially for transgender patients. But lip lifts are to make give you a little tooth show and reduce the distance between the red part of the lip and the bottom of the nose. When I do that, the incision is all up inside the nose, not outside, especially not outside the nostrils, because that can leave bad scars because you have a lot of sebaceous glands. So I use an M-type uh, incision for that, and everything's inside the nose except for a little line where the bottom of the nose meets the upper lip. And I've never revised one or been asked to, and I've done that for almost 50 years. What's happened, though, and then if someone has thin red in their lips, that can be augmented with filler, or my preference is fat. So sometimes I do runners that have no fat. So then they can either have fillers or I use tissue from the forehead that I've removed when I've lowered their hairline. I remove the skin and use the other stuff. It's a medical expression, stuff, that I thread through the lips to give them the fullness. But my preference is fat. Having said all that, way too much upselling of this going on. I see patients who, uh, besides bad results from poor work, they their lines are, are not a fine line. They're quite visible, and some people combine that with getting horrendous results uh, that when I show that to a patient, they go, oh, my God. That's how bad that is. So having said that, somebody will tell me, oh, this is like 14 millimeters. I think it should be 12 millimeters. Who sees that? People are so preoccupied. They've got nothing to do. I say, go do something. <laughs> you, you are awake. You're talking about some little thing that no one sees besides you. If it's a long male upper lip and a thin red, yes, no question. They need a lip lift and fat to the red to make it look more feminine. But the ones I'm seeing are well within normal for a female. Yeah. And this is in, in the entire community. So there's a lot of upselling of this. And the patient doesn't realize what they got, especially if they get a bullhorn and they get a scar around their nostril. They go, oh, my God. I, I went in to look better. Now I look god awful. This little thing that bothered me, I wish, I wish I never did that. And there's so many of those that I see that have had fat injected in their cheeks or in their uh, outside the red part of the lip. So patients have to be very, very careful because these can leave horrendous results for a little gain. We like operations that give you a tremendous gain with virtually no risk. That's a good operation. When you have, when it's even, or, you know, it's, you go, why would you do that? Why would you take a risk that could leave you with something you're not going to be able to fix? 
that's the other thing. Can you fix it? Fat is easy to put into a face. Impossible to get out. You can't just suck it out. You can put yeah. it in with a syringe very easily. But now if you have an irregularity between the two sides, uh, then you're, you're okay, well, we'll try to add a little filler. Oh, we'll put a little more fat. Oh, now that side's too much. Or now we'll go to the other, you know, and you chase your tail about these things. Yeah. And then the yeah. patient says, God, I wish I never started this. So that's well, a I cautionary think... tale. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I, I do think, you know, right, right. You know, as at this time that we're speaking, you know, the, the aesthetic cosmetic surgery and non-invasive treatment market is, is at its all-time high, I think, in the history of, of aesthetics. And, oh, and yeah. with that, it does bring increased competition amongst doctors, and it also brings doctors who want to define themselves as doing something different, as in, you know, techniques that, you know, perhaps, yes, you do in certain cases, they do all the time because it's how they're trying to define themselves as being different and unique. And so I, I do think, you know, your comments about reading reviews, looking at results, talking to patients again, because the last thing that you want is to have complications or not you want or for you to have to work on complications. And, and again, for this community, because, because it has grown it, and it's grown because of the confidence of, of patients who have been able to find a doctor such as you, that you know there's more accessibility to other surgeons who see this as another market you know to sell to rather than a calling which i think is how you began in the first place is that yeah, correct i'm a doctor and i'm not a salesperson i'm a doctor first i want to make yeah. people comfortable that's what that's my goal and uh you hit the nail on the head i don't think what i do is rocket science it, it's I look at what some other people do and sculptors, et cetera, and I go, wow, look at that. That, that is just brilliant. I don't consider what I do. It's teachable. I've taught the irregular trichophytic forehead lift and the flap surgery and stuff for almost 30, 40 years of teaching it. And it's still people can't do the simplest part of that, which is just the irregular trichophytic incision that we take that one thing and say people should be able to pull their hair back and not see a scar or if they see like a little gap one or two transplants but not a whole the whole thing has a bad scar because uh it, it is not rocket science but you do have to be meticulous so look for a doctor that's experienced and look for a doctor who's doing the surgery for himself if he takes pride in his work, you're going to be in good hands as long as yeah. he can deliver. But doctors yeah. that don't take pride in what they do, it's a crapshoot. It's, it's like, oh, yeah, the, this famous person, you know, eh, forget that. You, you yeah. want someone that is reliable. Yeah, and, and it is hard for the patient because patients want to believe that the choice they've made is somebody who really cares about them and who is is working from their heart, <laughs> you know, and yes. not always the case, as we know. Um, Unfortunately, you know, yeah. yeah. Plastic surgeons fit right. under the bell-shaped curve, right? Yep. And both by skill and by their personality of how they view what they do. People whose work is part of them. I had a secretary once, and uh, I finished talking about her nose, 
and her girlfriend says, well, her girlfriend who'd had a bad nose job by somebody else said, well, how does she know what she's going to get? And before I could under, before I could answer her question, the the prospective patient looks at her and says, "You don't get it. He's not doing it for me. He's doing it for himself." And I, I couldn't believe it. Most people don't understand that. Yeah, they don't get this. But and, pride, uh, in, pride in work. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, you know, we have a lot about a minute and a half left on the show, and I do, you know. I would like to ask you, because I think this is a question many, many patients and, and people think about is, you know, what changes, what positive changes do you or have you observed in the the patient, you know, the transgender patient who has undergone oh. facial feminization? How does it change their life? Oh, totally. I get, I get um, obviously I get referrals from those patients, but it's the other things that people say you've totally changed my life i am so grateful to you more than anything else i think you know, i do a nose or a face when people are appreciative right but not the same as transgender patients i know that's why i'm still working i don't need to work i uh, <laughs> um, as long as i can play polo and work that it's a good deal but the it's it is the key that they need to be to realize their dream of being who they are and it completes that process so i'm grateful that i'm able to give them this more than they are grateful that that i'm doing it or close to the same whatever you want to call it yeah. but well, it, it's a privilege for me to be able to do that i consider myself very very fortunate you know, Dr. Mayer, that's a wonderful sentiment, and I, I know, you know, we're just about to wrap up the show here, um, but for a patient who is thinking, and a transgender patient specifically, thinking about facial feminization surgery, what's the best way for them to contact you? Oh, um, my office is in Beverly Hills, and they can go to Dr. Toby Mayer Facial Feminization Surgery, and they'll have all my information there, and then they can see my website um, and look at look at everything that I do, and then listen to what patients say about it, and then look and say, is this something that there's a fit for me? Do I understand this? And uh, am I going to be reasonably safe? I'm not going to have any of these bad things happen. Great. Well, you know, for, for the patients that are listening, they can go to uh, com. That was Um Or the best telephone number is 424-245-4156. Dr. Mayer, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, I know this is, a, is part one of, a, part of a, a two-part series, and I will be having you back on the show next week with a transgender patient, Jordan, who has herself had a tremendous journey to success and I really can't wait for our next show together. Thank you so much. You're more than welcome. It's a, a privilege. Thank you, Absolutely. Angela. Well, we'll be, I'll see you on the next show. Thank you. I'll so see much. you next week. Yeah. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.